0: The views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters.
1: And good Wednesday morning and welcome to a hump day, the middle of the week edition of analyze this here on your mpr oh, station the u.s Virgin Islands wtx fm with yours truly neville james it is absolutely lovely in paradise today i believe today is going to be the highest visibility day of the year because i can already see um the cruise bay side of saint john and the eastern side of saint thomas that would be the red hook side of saint thomas um, and it's just 8 o'clock now. So I can guarantee you by midday, anywhere from mid to two midday to 2 o'clock, we're going to be able to feel like we could reach out and touch St. Thomas and St. John today because the visibility is going to be awesome. So we got a great show. We got the man here in the house, um, Mr. Voitima himself, uh, Daryl Jackson, the director. He's going to be here for, with us for our number one and uh, our number two. I think we got Susie Bowen and Vivian Flood coming in to talk about a uh, Christiansted uh, community alliance, the Christian cultural group. Uh, They're lighting up Limerick Park uh, this weekend uh, as well. So let me get right to it. Uh, Director Josh good morning. Good to see you.
2: Good morning, Neville. Again, good to see you, sir.
1: Yeah, i wrapping up the hurricane season, right? It's been a
2: very active season, <laughs> but uh, for us, it's been a it's been a good quiet
1: season. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Yeah. Looking over the data uh, we got spared this year. yes, we did. This is fourth
2: active hurricane season in the Atlantic historically mm-hmm. things went north, things went south, things came close, but uh preparedness is a key thing. A lot of prayers go along also a long way
1: and a lot a lot of the storms stayed out to sea and stayed on on the uh, central and eastern Atlantic side of the ocean.
2: Yes. Yeah, when well you watch them come off of Africa early in the season, you got no idea if they're going to go north or south. as They keep coming that traditional trajectory, but then uh, they do turn. And this year, what, look at those high-pressure steering systems. Um,
1: they were very good to us this year. The, 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 the turning to the north actually took place uh, before they got to the archipelago, um, notwithstanding the fact that we had uh, um, warm waters. That may have actually played a part uh, in it as well. Um, in talking to the meteorologist, uh, Ian Colon, uh, out of San Juan, yes. he said the, the ridge that normally um keeps the storms um in a westerly direction until they turn mm-hmm. north. Until they turn north, the ridge was weak. So that allowed the storms to turn to the north.
2: Yeah, exactly. Plus we had a lot of uh the uh, Sahara dust early in the season, so that kept that, those conditions such that the moisture was going to stay down. So even though we had some early, early seasons, I think early June, like June 1 or 2 was the first one in the Atlantic, uh, but not threatening us, but we always watch those in all those conditions, and I'm glad you mentioned the National Weather Service from Puerto Rico, and Ian Colon is one of the great meteorologists we oh, work yeah. with. That's 24 great. hours a day, I'm on at 4 o'clock in the morning, at 10 o'clock at night with them. They're a fantastic team to work with.
1: No, we got Great relationship with them. Uh, number one, uh, Jose Alamo, he actually left to go to DC. To He actually plays a role with coordinating a lot of the information and stuff that takes place in the Caribbean. But um, we've got a great group of meteorologists down there in uh, San Juan, um, including one of our own, Robert Mitchell. Yes.
3: Uh, his mom Robert actually Mitchell lives there. Yeah,
1: his mom lives here up on the east end of the island. I had a good conversation on Monday with Carlos Anselmi uh, as well. And then the ladies, of course, uh, Lee and and let me see. Um Who else? Well, Krista left. Krista, Krista uh, she's from Philly. She had lived on there for a number of years, but she actually moved on. So, I want to thank the meteorologists uh, for educating us and uh, keeping us informed as to well what's going on. I know there was a mention of one storm that actually did some damage, the one that hit the Big Bend area uh, in Florida. Idalia? Yeah, and, uh, and that was weird. And that was actually a microcosm of a lot of the storm behavior because Philippe actually was the one that actually did anything. If we, if there was one that actually impacted us, I think Philippe would be the one. I and mean, he actually <laughs> made a, a circular motion when he got to the archipelago. He went north and came back and, and, and was doing yeah, his thing.
2: Exactly. But without those being strongly defined, their mm-hmm. projections are always up up to the air. So uh, we watched Philippe very closely as it came through, and we weren't quite sure if it's going to go left or is going to go right. Even one or two degrees makes an impact for us, so we weren't quite sure with that. But uh, I think this rapid intensification this year—you talked about, you know, in Florida, you know, outside, you know, within 24 hours, that storm went very quickly mm-hmm. into a major hurricane. So I think you know, the reality is you're going to continue to see those. Uh, events occur so even though you go to bed at night tropical storm you may wake up in a cat three That's mm-hmm. just today's environment we are living in
1: yeah Now, um when do you guys do the post-mortem you know, we're doing the review and all that stuff um climate change is what it is but the the warm waters and the recorded uh the the warmest summer recorded i believe the month of july i think it was um is that going to be a, a, a emphasis uh, of 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 the review, um, given you know the record heat that we were seeing in the Western Hemisphere?
2: Okay, so I, I was out at uh, Long Beach, California, last a uh, couple weeks ago with the National Hurricane Center with, with the Emergency Management Conference, and they already were talking about the analysis that was being done. We have mm-hmm. a lot of climate change conditions, but we talk more about the models. And, in the, you know, the validity of the models and ability, as you know, we're now tracking seven days out. It used to be five days, but now information coming to us is, is projecting seven days out. So we're getting more and more um, stability in those models with their projections of the tracks, the projections of the intensification. But, yes, as the complexities of climate change, um, become reality to us we see more impact into those models and variables in those models as well as the ability for that data to be gathered up through multiple mechanisms whether it's you know drones if you will we have drone boats out there we have drone airplanes we still have hurricane hunters we still have a lot of things that are still giving us information and, and more technology to come there so um, definitely, you know, the variables are complex. Uh, we talk about the El Nino effect, whether mm-hmm. it was this year or next year. All those, you know, really go into you know, it's discussing, you know, this year is in projection for next year. And again, back to preparedness. Uh, we just have to be prepared. And that hurricane season from, you know, 1 June to 30 uh, November is really our, our six months of, of concern and, and awareness.
1: Um, this year was um, not. Different for us, but it, it created some logistical issues um, uh, in in classroom, in house issues because um, we had some oppressive heat uh, this year. Talk a little bit about that, please.
2: Well, again, National Winter Service uh, works with us also on drought conditions, and they are very much working with us to understand the impacts of drought. It's one of the first times I think a combination of St. Croix. Uh, went to a drought level I believe four and that was a huge, huge impact to us and the ability for us to reach out to USDA uh, through uh Department of Agriculture to impact plus obviously uh, you know, were fighting fi- fighting uh <laughs> the fires over in Saint Thomas at Boboni Landfill mm-hmm. and huge, huge heat indices is hundred and eighteen to hundred and twenty degrees.
1: Well Philippe actually helped us out with, with uh with, with, with the backside of that um firefighting that we were dealing with with the um with the Bouvonnier, um, landfill? Yeah, yeah. one point eight five million gallons of
2: water, and then Philippe shows up to put out the last, <laughs> the last minute of it. Uh, so yeah, Philippe was there, but the tremendous firefighters in there supporting that, and we had to rotate them through, uh, make sure they didn't spend too much time in their hydration department of health. But anything today, uh, whether it's sports, whether it's recreational, whether it's just getting out and walking, we have to be hydration
1: uh, and education to everybody. We had coordination with Puerto Rico. Um, in, in dealing with the, the landfill fire, right? Uh, helicopters. Yes, it, in? exactly.
2: It, it, traditionally, when you talk about hurricanes, like, you know, we're, we're hit, Puerto Rico's hit. So we don't really look at mutual support, mm-hmm. but we, there's something called a compact, which all the governors signed that allows us to uh, support each other with a governor to governor relationship, no federal declaration required. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we did reach out to the Puerto Rico National Guard because they have helicopters and they have what's called a, a bucket, called a Bambi bucket that mm-hmm. can dip into the ocean and bring about 660 gallons per per bucket load and we were able to uh, coordinate with them and then have the the, uh, helicopter engage i think in the early couple of days for about two days to get areas of the fire that were in the Bavoni where we could not reach it and really prevented the fire as uh, the winds traditionally go from the east to the west is starting to move to the west to impact some potential uh, areas over there so Mm -hmm. thanks to the puerto rico national guard for those two days um, basically working daylight operations only they were able to put a lot of uh, I think it's like six hundred and sixty thousand gallons of water on on top of that. That uh, again, this was a huge um, smoldering vegetation debris fire that caused from you know uh, internal combustion that basically resulted from debris that had been left over from hurricanes Irma that came in both from St Thomas and St John that were per- right there in the uh, Bavonia landfill. So it was just just the vegetation debris. But a tremendous challenge, and having to fight like a 40-foot wall of, uh, of charcoal coming down was was rather intense. And really, thanks to uh, VIPD because they have drones now that have thermal imaging, believe mm-hmm. it or not, so they can do temperature sensing. Mm-hmm. So we could uh, we would fight about till about 10 o'clock at night, and then we would come back and re-engage about 9 o'clock the next morning. The drones would go up early in the morning and find those hot spots for us. We're looking it's like you know about 200 yards wide. In about you know two hundred yards deep is where all these fires were. So underneath you, around you, uh, but having that drone to give that thermal imaging was was so so good to have.
1: No, no. Listening to you just talking there, now that we're we're going through, uh, you know, the fire is not where it was. Um, do we do periodic checks um, to, to to keep an eye on it because you don't want it to to reignite.
2: You always have individuals that are in, you know, waste management authority, and they contract out. Um, They always see little things happening, but as you start looking at that, we do have occasional to call in uh, the fire department. Over here in Saint Croix, actually, I believe waste management has like a pumper truck that can provide early response to that. Mm -hmm. One of the uh, outputs from the event on Saint. Thomas with Bavoni was trying to bring that hydrant that's out there next to the street in closer in so we don't have to go a quarter mile to the hydrant to get, uh, you know, the water. I mean, a lot of water trucks are coming in, constantly pumping through. We didn't go ever we go out to the hydrant, but it, it's it's just too far away to be, be effective right away at the fire. So some lessons learned from that. Um, very important to have that ability to look early on and get involved with this uh but i think you know director george was saying you know over his 30 years of, of working fires in bavoni that was the worst one he had seen mm-hmm. uh, but mm-hmm. he knew how to fight it uh, we knew how to do environmental protection at the same time all that water coming down had to get taken out so it wasn't going to um, cause any other havoc anywhere else uh, and a lot of education was done by department of health also out there in the community to talk about impacts of the smoke uh, you know, to restaurants and to uh, businesses as well as to uh,
1: individual homeowners and you know, while we're at it, we want to once again uh, send out condolences uh, to the family of the late uh, Daryl George, uh, who was the director of the uh, fire service and the entire uh, Virgin uh, Fire Department and the administration and the people of St. Thomas and St. John for that, uh, that big loss um, with losing uh, Director uh, George. For those who may be listening um, and looking at a career uh, or potential careers in what we're talking about. Um, what would be your suggestions to them, to them right now? Um, because we've touched on so many different things in a, in a ten-minute uh, discussion. We're talking about meteorology. Uh, we're talking about uh, fire prevention or fire containment. Uh, we're talking about. Um, you went out to Long Beach. Uh, yes. Emergency. So there's so many different areas. Uh, if we could, you know, give some advice to our young people who may be looking into. Uh, you know careers uh, along this line of uh, you know, protecting uh, the, the public and, and, and our environment
2: I think the first of all is, is that that desire to work for in public service i mean that 's one of the keys to success is we 're working we 're supporting the community and, and that 's our roles and responsibilities no matter what you start in as a firefighter, you start as a national guard soldier, you start as a policeman. Um, That gives you the foundation. We talk about incident command is how you basically work emergencies, no matter what's in the territory or whether it's in in a different state or, you know, activity. Um, That's how we work uh, collectively. Um, You have to have a desire to get involved and educate yourself, educate the community. Uh, We're working with our Vitima. We're looking on accreditation. so there's a tremendous standard national standards in place. Uh, We have, you know, Hazard mitigation. We have public assistance that are already part of recovery operations. You have operations. You have logistics, and of course, Vitima has 911 also. So all of those are great places to start. I think you need to have a need to have a desire uh, to get involved and learn. Uh, a lot of my my fellow National Guard soldiers, we stay engaged, and they love working with, with Vitima. They have a federal mission, but also they work for the governor as we need to, like we're activated now for state active duty. Uh, we're working with them right now so their involvement is very very important but uh answer your question i think it's really anywhere you go to i think Viteam team does a great job of outreaching to the community we talk about you know earthquakes we talk about tsunamis we have exercises that go along with that we have the uh you know, functions, abilities, you know, activities. We we with everybody, so it's a really good opportunity to you know reach out to the community. I have amateur radio operators who we're looking at with them right now, also to keep uh, the communication going. But you have to have a skill set that spans a lot of things. But really, it's that passion to serve the community.
1: The the conference that you went to uh, out in, in in Long Beach, <coughs> um, multiple agent multi agency attendance, or just uh, specifically for. Uh, emergency management directors.
2: It, it was called the International Emergency Managers uh, Association, IAEM. Um, and really, it's a combination of a lot of the counties. You know, we, here we don't have the counties, if you like, back in the States. But mm-hmm. a lot of the counties, um, emergency management directors, a lot of fire, a lot of police. But oh, we're one county. Yes, it, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But also, I had the responsibility at the federal side. So mm-hmm. I talked to the counties. My, my peers out there, they're like... Um, they don't understand FEMA. They don't understand the state. They just understand money comes down from the state for federal mm-hmm. to support them. But a lot of it has to do with skill sets and fire, uh, VIPD uh, police, EMS. Uh, also, we had you know. National Weather Service out there, tremendous group out there, Hurricane Hunters, National Weather Service. We had FEMA out there also. But it's a great opportunity to share those those opportunities. A lot of discussions about fires. I mean, just the you know California area, yeah. amount of fires it's out there. Santa
1: Ana winds and yeah. oh, impacting um, the state and of California. Yeah. And, and yeah. again,
2: a lot of the incident command system, ICS we talk about, uh, was born out of the firefighters. So mm-hmm. you start locally, and as fires get bigger and bigger, you bring in more uh, resources and activities, and you set up your 24-hour objectives and goals like we do now. And so it doesn't matter whether it's a fire, whether it's an earthquake, or it's a flood. It's that same process you go through. But it's a great opportunity. Uh, you, you listen to a lot of the lectures, and you have a chance to uh, participate. You have a chance to ask questions. You get a chance to really talk to your peers and really find out what, what's going on, you know, technology-wise, what's going on, you know, with all the gizmos, if you will. But also, ultimately, it goes down to how do you service your community? Uh, We had the uh, the head of administration of FEMA out there. Deanne Criswell was out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, We had the head of uh, CISA was out there, and he talked about the threats that are coming to us in the U.S. um, Whether it's a territory, we're a Commonwealth, or whether you're a state, there are credible threats coming to us. So even though we're involved with emergency management, you know, cyber threats are still there. We have you know bad actors that are basically trying to take. advantage of opportunities just because you have a disaster people are going to try to penetrate your borders people are going can try to take advantage of that so there is a um, responsibility beyond just you know firefighting police and, and, and EMS it's a, it's really a nationwide um, awareness to stay what uh, what's happening uh, in the community and that cyber threat is is
1: still very critical to us and for those who are listening um, National Weather Service in San Juan uh, issued uh, a notice um, about 40 minutes ago. Um, n- n- tropical cyclone formation is not expected during the next seven days. <laughs> so that's <laughs> so that's some good news. We got uh, uh, Daryl Jackson, Virginia House Territorial Emergency Management, Management Agency Director, joining us here as per the norm on the last Wednesday of the month during the hurricane season. We'll take a break. Be back right after this.
3: Doom scrolling? Let's break that habit, folks. I'm Aisha Roscoe, host of Weekend Edition Sunday, where if you want to know what's going on in the world and why it matters, all you have to do is give your thumb a rest and perk up your ears. We've got the news, but we've also got curiosity, joy, and surprise. Tune in for Weekend Edition from NPR News.
0: Weekend Edition, Sundays at 8 a.m. right here on WTJX-FM, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands.
3: Music can be an incredibly personal experience. A song can inspire you, it can comfort you, it can make you feel understood, but it can even take you back to a specific moment in your life. And it all begins with the artist. Join me, Raina Duras, as I get personal through in-depth interviews with your favorite musicians and find out where those songs come from on World Cafe.
0: Weekdays at 10 p.m. on WTJX-FM 93.1.
2: mornings we're here for you with weekend edition two hours of news interviews new music new books rattling good stories interesting people challenging analysis laughs air shows and donkey rides for the kids so come along with us weekend
0: edition saturday mornings from Infure news weekend edition saturdays at 8 a.m on wtjx fm 93.1
1: Here on Analyze This is the last Wednesday of the month, so you know we got the uh, Vitima uh, here uh, in the studio joining um, Director uh, Daryl Uh Here's the, the weather forecast from the National Water Service in San Juan for today. Mostly sunny The partly cloudy skies are expected to prevail across the islands today with only occasional light showers. A mid to upper level ridge over the Caribbean basin will continue to promote fair weather conditions across the region. Through at least Thursday, an increase in moisture and winds, as well as deteriorating marine conditions, are expected by Friday, and into the weekend. Near-normal seasonal temperatures will prevail. And like I said, if you look outside, it really is a gorgeous day uh, here in Paris. So I was telling uh, Director Jashin that I myself was uh, I was out in the uh, LA area uh, the first weekend uh, of the the month, and uh, when I was driving back to the airport. Uh, we actually was on the, 40, we were on the 405, uh, heading back uh, to LAX. And we drove past the Wilmington Long Beach area, and I was telling him that in 2012, uh, my chief of staff, uh, Jimmy Perez Santos, uh, while I was at a conference, uh, that was the National Council of State Governments. We had a conference out there in La Quinta, out there in the desert, Palm Desert. Okay, okay. So um, before I drove out there. Uh, she hooked me up. I uh, met a young lady by the name of Kate, uh, and we went to a um, a natural gas station uh, down in uh, Wilmington, down in next to Long Beach, and it was interesting to see the 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 gas trucks coming there and getting refueled. You know what I mean? It, 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 it was just it was just different. You know what, <laughs> yeah. what I'm saying? Because natural gas, uh, of course, at the time, earlier that year, Ovento had closed. So we were we were dealing with the energy crisis, it had you know, reignited again. Um, so um, uh, that, was, that was interesting uh, uh, to see how, uh, and at the time, natural gas was like one-sixth of the cost of regular gasoline.
2: Yeah, when my first trip down to Trinidad, we're watching the liquid natural gas down there. Mm-hmm. They have a tremendous gas you know, supply down there, and, mm-hmm. it, and everybody's yeah. running around with, with natural gas cars. It's like, okay. what, this is a very different environment. You know, mm-hmm. and, uh, they've embraced that because it's easy to supply for them.
1: We've done a lot of talking, but we really haven't moved away from, you know, how we've functioned uh, as relates to what we provide over the years. Do so you think at some point we're actually going to uh, take that next step?
2: Well, yeah, in California, they have mandated to, to go down this uh, electronic, you know, car, the EV mm-hmm. car system. So you're going to see that happening more and more. Mm-hmm. I think sort of, you know, the whole carbon footprint and the way to go, It's just you have to figure out. Uh, you know how you support that you know back when cars first came out, there were no gas stations, mm-hmm. so you know, we had to come up with that it wasn 't government supported gas stations it was private okay. supported gas stations yeah. so the same thing's going to happen I think with charging stations and you know the ability to to maintain the next generation of this. I think you know those that are growing up today, I think they have a vested interest in their future, and I think they want to do the right thing to get the carbon footprint down. I think they understand the importance to the uh, again, climate change, you know, we can get, get it back to you know how it's um, not as intense and stop this uh, rapid intensification we see going on. I think there's a definite future uh, for the next generation coming up. I think for those today, us, uh, I think we need to be good stewards in the future also and make sure that we are doing the responsible things as individuals. And if you're a leader, is a leadership also.
1: Um, by the way, I'm mean, looking at the, um, the forecast. They also said um, there's a moderate risk of recurrence as well for Northwestern, St. Thomas, okay? So on the the Northwestern side, they are keep an eye for those of you heading out to the beaches, okay, there's a moderate risk. Uh, Let me ask this question. Um, The Department of Planning and Natural Resources, um, they've been having conducting a lot of town hall meetings because the land and water use plan. Um, They're making a concerted effort to get the public uh, informed um, as to the impact and, and why a comprehensive land and water use plan is beneficial uh, for the territory. Uh, given um, what they're doing and the realities that we're dealing with um, in terms of um, potential construction and I always wanting to pr- protect our environment, we got a, um, you know, sun and sand is our thing, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? Um, and I know you've been working on, with uh, Commissioner Oriole. Uh, what's what's it been like as it relates to what kind of input Vitima could provide to help uh, VIT, uh, DPNR and the public at large in processing information and you know making sure that wherever whatever whatever direction we go in, um, it's a sound um, foundation that we've used to guide us into that direction. Yeah, what,
2: what, yeah. You know, Vitima is one of our, our you know deputy directors or directors is is hazard mitigation. So we, we produce a hazard mitigation resiliency plan um, and actually gonna be signed off. We're gonna go up for public here in the next couple of months. So by by mid-year of 24, we should be able to finalize that. And that's something we work again uh, for both threats that are natural plus threats that are man made. And part of our accreditation process we're going through with hazard mitigation, just not looking at floods, but looking at potential for you know man made hazards that may come out of refineries or come out from other areas to go. And You balance those out, you don't Dr. want to Gwinell, Dr. Guanel,
1: Dr. Guanel, and his group, yes. And, yep. and Miss Rivera, yep. she, she works with you yep. or she works with us. Uh, she
2: is well, she is my hazard mitigation or the territory's yeah, hazard she, mitigation she works with Vitima, uh, right? officer, yes. Yeah, and my she's, right, she's, yeah. she's part of um, you know, working, you know. Recovery, if you will, from Irma Maria. So a lot of her staff is is on board to do the hazard mitigation, mm-hmm. uh, to build back. You know, not just recovery, but recovery. Understanding if we if we take these hits constantly in the same areas, well, why? And let's put those um, Kim Waddell, right? That's another yeah, yeah, name. Kim yep, Waddell, Kim yeah. and Greg, yes, the doctors. Greg, yeah, yeah. yeah, they they've been they're always been involved with this development. and We have a review process. To, The hazard mitigation resilience plan I looked at, it's it's about, you know, yay thick when you you print it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But it's a very good comprehensive plan that then nests in with uh, what DPNR is doing to make sure we don't obviously encroach on uh, areas we don't want to environmental conditions, the mangroves, for example. Mm -hmm. We don't want to build areas where flooding becomes a concern, even looking at the impact of tsunamis, you know, and what can we do to prevent those. As we start looking at these um, next generations of... uh, structures if you will you know, realizing that we are in an earthquake zone seismic mm-hmm. zone so building seismic as you know Puerto Rico had a tremendous you know earthquake event uh, in the south you know west of Puerto Rico so yeah we, we're in a zone so as we look at developing those building structures that are going to be better and last longer it is very very important so that so yeah. I think traditional you know flooding areas we watch out for traditional tsunami zone areas earthquake all those come in together to, to really work in concert with what uh, DPNR is doing.
1: And uh, Dr. Guanel if you're listening, uh, you want to call in to, to piggyback and what uh, uh, the director said, uh, 718-0761 or 718-4555 um, uh, are the numbers because uh, Vitima itself, you know, you're, you're actually the agency that, Practically works more with other agencies than anybody yep. else, right? Yep.
2: Whereas you can single yeah. coordinating it, and it's yeah. all about yeah. coordination. So, mm-hmm. yeah, exactly. And so, this hazard mitigation resiliency plan is a tremendous resource, and we will have public um, you know, opportunities to review that and discuss that before we go final in Saint Croix, Saint Thomas, and Saint
1: John. Uh, and that's important to have that feedback from the community. And there's also the, the watershed, yes. right? The, 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 the where they they identify what seven of them in the territory. Yes, and um, they look at. Uh, the different they've been studying that yes right and that's all part of the yeah but the drought yeah, drought yeah, impacts also impact, yeah
2: so uh, there's all these threats we look at and how we mitigate those threats in order to to minimize those if you will or to build smarter to build better so we don't again put ourselves at risk for mother nature or again man-made events that could occur
1: mm-hmm. no uh november has been a rainy month right
2: yeah, but lots of
1: green,
2: lots of green yeah, territory. Yeah, yeah. Oh, no, no, we love it. We eaters are out. No, yes. we, love,
1: we love it. You know what I'm saying? We're looking up and the island is lush. You know, no doubt about that. Um, but that's typical, though. We yes. normally get November rains. Yes, see. So, so that's good that um, the abnormal heat that we experienced during the summer, um, we actually reverted back to normalcy in November, yeah. where the rain came just like 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 we normally do, yes. because typically. You know, when something is abnormal, it it tends to stay that way. But we're glad that come November uh, of 2023, we saw the range that we normally get. Yeah,
2: September and October were rough months for us. Yeah, yeah that's well; those are yeah, summer. Those yeah, are yeah. summer months. Yeah. You know. it, and then you know, school started early, mm-hmm. so we realized the impact of starting the school early because we're going to have more heat now.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so that's a, a rough challenge. Yeah. Yeah. So. the... Oh, before we get to the, the closure of the hurricane season, which is official tomorrow, right?
2: 30th. The 30th, right?
1: Yeah. Um, we had a moisture feel about two or three weeks ago um, in the southwest part of the the Gulf, uh, the Caribbean Basin. Oh, yes. Right? So talk a little bit about that because um, we were lucky. I spoke with Carlos and Sel, me on Monday, um, not this past weekend, the weekend before, 10, 11 days ago. Yeah. Um Hispaniola was hit with heavy, heavy rains. We were not. You know, Puerto Rico was not, the Virgin Islands was not. Um but that goes to show that there's a reason why the hurricane season is officially from June one to December first, November thirtieth. Exactly. B- because um systems can manifest themselves in the November month. I mean yeah. we had we had Lenny, uh nineteen and then, which, is, which is proof, but we've had even before that, we had a storm. Uh, I was in college, I believe. We had a storm by name of Klaus that actually hit the the pier and damaged the pier down in Frederickston. Okay. You know what I'm saying? So people have been saying, well, why the hurricane season is so long? And we Our main hits are in September, but the hits can happen.
2: Yeah, remember, the, this is the Atlantic hurricane season. If you go mm-hmm. out to the NOAA website, you can see each month sort of where the formations and where the impact of these tropical cyclones go. So... You know early in the season is really up along the the Eastern seaboard, if you will. Um, then, as it moves late into the season, it's actually in the Caribbean. Like mm-hmm. You're talking about out, out to the uh, the western part of the Caribbean. We watched those very, very closely because the one that you're talking about, it, you know, we watched it. It could have very easily come a little bit more to the, the east, and we would have been impacted. Yeah, man. And, yeah. And that had ten inches, ten inches of rain. With yeah, it. Yeah, it, yeah. I it saw. I, well, I,
1: I saw. <laughs> um,
2: Santo Domingo was hit. Yeah, yeah they, bad, they, they got crushed, bad, man. Yeah. yeah. It doesn't have to be a tropical cyclone. Mm-hmm. It can just be a, a, a you know, rain trough to come together, and that's why the. Uh, National Weather Service will give me a call occasionally, and I'm like, Well, why are you guys calling me? And, it, and these troughs start coming together and they interact, and they do generate um, some tremendous uh, impacts to the territory here. And we have to be aware at all times. Okay. And I think the Alert VI system that we have today, I think I have like over 22,000 people signed up for it, which is a great way for us to communicate. And of course, this year we had really, I think the first time since 2014, FEMA did the iPods, which is the Uh, integrated public alert warning system to all of our phones and the television stations and radio stations to really put out a nationwide um, test of an an alert system. So if we are in California or you're in Puerto Rico or or St. John, you got that alert message, which was great to see the ability of technology to alert us in case something happened. And my team, I can do that also. Um, in alert system under uh, the right conditions to get the word out to the community very, very quickly.
1: Okay. So here we go with Hurricane Klaus, because I know... Did you know it? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, know, I know people like... It's 1984, by the way, but, and it impacted an election day. I remember that people were saying, because you know, uh, that was a senatorial year. That was not a gubernatorial year. Okay. So here we go, right? A broad area of low pressure gradually developed over the extreme southeastern Caribbean Sea on November the 1st. That's our bowl and bread day. It moved slowly westward and steadily organized, right? So, so it moved west. By November 4th, the system stalled to the north of Curaçao, all the way down by the northern part of South America, which was followed by a turn to the northeast. Convection slowly organized <clears throat> as a surface circulation formed. And on November 5th, the system developed into Tropical Depression 15. Initially weak with only 20 miles per hour winds the depression steadily organized and as it moved northeastward and the reconnaissance aircraft mission confirmed the existence of the cyclone on November 6th as it was located midway between Puerto Rico and the Netherlands Antilles so we could stop there cuz the story's good right but it goes to show that it was down there North of Curaçao, then it, 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 was, it went out in the Caribbean basin, and that's where it strengthened, right? Yeah. That, that's pretty much what happened, yes. right? Yeah, if it was between Curaçao and Puerto Rico. Yeah,
2: they get that warm waters, the conditions, yeah. the convection, everything came to be.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. okay, so here we go, right? Uh, late on the 6th, the, strength, the depression strengthened into Tropical Storm Klaus, which located a short distance south of Puerto Rico. Tropical Storm Klaus continued northeastward, made landfall on extreme eastern Puerto Rico early on November 7th. So that would be the Umacao fajardo area, right? Mm -hmm. Um, The storm passed a short distance north of the Lesser Antilles. So that means it's heading in a northeasterly direction, right? Favorable conditions allowed the storm to continue strengthening, and Klaus attained hurricane status early on November the 8th. The hurricane accelerated to the northeast reached its peak intensity of 90 miles per hour on November 8th. After maintaining its peak strength for 30 hours, Klaus weakened slightly. And then uh, through an approaching trough of low pressure, turned Hurricane Klaus to the northeast. And then the next thing you know, by November 13th, uh, it was 440 miles south-southeast of Cape Race in Newfoundland. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? All the way up there. So yeah. it goes to show that, the, uh, like they say, the, the, the deeper you get into the hurricane season, the reverse direction tends to exactly. take place with, with the system. Yep.
2: and also you know there's four quadrants in those hurricanes so that northeast quadrant we talk about that mm-hmm. would be the one that sounds like would have been as it was coming up towards the, you know going northeast. Uh, that would be the, what we would call through the dirty side, of the worst part, and that would be, hit more St.
1: Croix side. Yeah, yeah, So
2: that's the worst side is that, that uh, you the know. The western
1: side, the, sh- the, the, the big part of the triangle. Yeah. Right from, from Hammers Bluff down to, yeah, exactly. to Sandy Point. So, yeah, yeah, so
2: as the hurricane came up, that, that right side, you're moving, that's the worst part of the hurricane for mm-hmm. that particular storm. So each one's going to be northeast, different. the northeast quadrant, right? The, exactly. That, that so, part of the storm. You know, yeah. So it, it doesn't take, you know, a major hurricane to cause some, some challenges. Yeah, and that's
1: why the the, the, the pier, Yes. In Frederickstead yeah. uh, had been impacted, but then we rebuilt that. Yeah,
2: I'm really worried about when you know we start watching this hurricane slow down as mm-hmm. they start approaching, it's like that's not a good thing. Yeah. um, and I want them to speed up and get through as fast as they can. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah that, that's, that's in the that's Oh, my god, yeah. Oh,
1: yeah, 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 with Abaco, right? Yeah, you know, that it was one terrible. Here. Yeah, St. John received 15 inches yeah. of rainfall, that's a lot of rain, and both St. Thomas and St. Croix received 10 inches while rainfall in the BVI remained below, yeah. uh, 10 inches. By the way, uh, we got into to another break i was in new york uh in 1995 and that's when i learned about nor'easters oh yeah (laughs) because because that's these storms working their way up there in in november right Uh, that's why they they refer to them as as uh nor'easters that was that was i I, man yo i like being in i like being in new york in the in the fall and the winter time i'm just weird like that we'll take a break and we'll be back right after this with uh director daryl Jackson from baitima We're doing our post-modem, the hurricane season 2023, closing out tomorrow. Be back right after this.
4: Taste of Two Islands is back. Join us at Antilles Mark C. Marin Center on December 14th for the long-awaited return of the taste, a culinary feast for the season. Hosted by me, George Culture Silkat. Tickets are on sale now through Thursday, December 14th. Tickets are available at Chelsea's Drugstore in Red Hook, Barefoot Buddha across from Haven Site Mall, and Bonita's Cantina in Niski Shopping Center. Tickets can also be purchased online at wtjx.org forward slash taste or call 340-774-6255. Shuttle service will be available from Haven Site Lot to the MCM Center. Don't miss this opportunity to experience the magic of local cuisine as you dance to the rhythms of Spectrum Band. Sponsors for this event are VI Lottery, West Indies Company, Cardo Wine Winans- & First Bank, Bellows International, the VI Office of Highway Safety, the VI Housing Finance Authority, and the VI Public Finance Authority. It's the return of the taste, Thursday, December 14th at 6 p.m. A taste you can never forget.
3: With so much going on, it can be hard to keep up with who's doing what and why. I'm Aisha Roscoe, host of Weekend Edition Sunday, letting you know whether it's news from across the country and the world or a deep conversation about a novel, movie, or music, we got you. Grab your coffee or your earbuds and tune in to Weekend Edition from NPR News.
0: Sundays at 8 a.m. right here on WTJX-FM, your NPR station in the Virgin Islands.
3: There are many complex issues that arise in our territory. Comes
4: with the Territory with Leslie Comision.
3: Join me, Leslie Comision, for a breakdown of political issues facing our territory, one conversation at a time. I'm here to be the voice you can rely on for information that is straightforward and comprehensive. Tune in to be a part of the discussion. It all comes with the Territory.
4: Comes with the Territory airs Sundays at 1 p.m. and re-airs at 7 p.m. on WTJX-TV Channel 12.
1: Just, I was looking up some more information about uh, Hurricane Klaus, and uh, it was a hurricane. One it did some damage. It had 1984. I saw something here. I just wanted to to, to follow up on that to let the public know that the okay. Here we go. Ninth, hurricanes 1984. Hurricane Klaus caused severe flooding. But uh, I was also looking right uh, during the break. So check this out, uh, director. With this particular storm. Right, they said that uh, mm, Vieques, much of the southern half of Puerto Rico, reported over seven inches. Vieques receive about seven inches of precipitation, while Culebra experienced over 10 inches. Now, if St. John experienced 15 inches and St. Thomas is in between, mm-hmm. uh, St. John and Culebra and Vieques yeah, then, were, that, then that speaks to that northeast quadrant yeah, again right exactly. where, where, where we always reference mm-hmm. where the heavy convections and the rain is right wow wow this is and they said the strongest winds um, remained offshore and wind gusts peaked at 37 miles per hour at the Roosevelt Roads uh, Naval Station this is interesting it said Dominica 10,000 people were impacted on the island of Dominica so this looks like it was one of those elongated storms, yes. right yeah and in Antigua, strong waves from the hurricane produce severe beach erosion, which is something that we take the ten for granted, right? We're, we're more concerned about homes and structures, mm-hmm. but beach erosion is very, very important. Very, very, It can be very, very dangerous yeah. and, and, and create significant damage, right? Yes, well, if I understand right uh, back in Omar, really not
2: Omar, but uh, Hugo over here on St. Croix, Um, Buck Island was tremendously impacted. The whole, the Mm -hmm. sands on on Buck Island were tremendously changed. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So that that has
1: a huge impact plus. No, Omar did damage too. That was in 2008. Yeah. Right? That was in 2008. And uh, that one actually moved in that, it actually moved, that was an October storm, and it moved in that November direction where it went from, from, I guess, southwest to northeast. Yeah, I was the
2: operations officer to the National Guard for that
1: storm. If you watched it south of Puerto Rico, just sort of stall,
2: Mm -hmm. then all of a sudden it started coming towards... Um, St. Croix. Then it hit, clipped the, uh, the eastern end. I remember going out and looking at all the damaged telephone poles that were down on the eastern end of St.
1: Croix and going, oh my goodness. Okay. But they had them up pretty quickly. WAPA yeah. was out
2: very, very quickly. So, so, so
1: check this out, right? A month af- About a month after the storm passed, President Ronald Reagan declared the U.S. Virgin Islands a major disaster area. So tell us about uh, why the, the uh, delayed declaration. How, uh, what would cause that? You
2: know? it, it has to do with the assessments. I mean, okay. Now we do a lot of pre, pre-storm pre mm-hmm. because we can see projections. A lot of you know, in that time frame, we probably had not a whole lot of projections of what was going to happen. But after the storm is when you do your assessments. And so you do an initial assessment as a territory. And if you realize you've, you've reached above a certain amount of damage, let's just call it a million dollars, then you can go out to the federal side and say, hey, uh, we need some help and assistance beyond our capability. Can you do a joint assessment? And they okay. come in and they look at it. Also, as FEMA says, yep, that validates that, and we give you um, a emergency declaration to provide some some support for funding as well as some response and setting up disaster assistance and for the community. Uh, but that's that's normal back in those days.
1: Okay, okay, yeah. good that, no, that's good to know. Yeah. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Because because assessment, just because your initial assessment tells you something, it don't mean that. A subsequent assessment might not, might, might actually unearth yep. something that you didn't notice or assess. Right. Uh, with the initial assessment. It said, because damage was not significant, the name Klaus was not retired after uh. this year. However, yep. the name was later retired after Hurricane Klaus and was replaced by Kyle. <laughs> so <laughs> Director Fleming, <Yeah. laughs> when you come in on Friday for the power hour, yeah. uh, it was replaced by Kyle in 1996. I'm going to let you know that uh, you're a part of the, um, uh, hurricane uh, uh, alphabet, so to speak. Question uh, from one of the listeners: um, Does the buildup of military in Guam potentially give it greater resources in time of need compared to existing compared to existing situation in VI since the closure of Roosevelt Roads? Spec- speculate, no. speculate. Well. Usually the,
2: the buildup we're talking about is usually what's called active duty forces or it's called Title 10.
1: Okay. So, you know, after disaster. You can't be here because I'm, I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm lapping this up. Now.
2: Yeah, we have National Guard here. We don't have the active duty forces and such. So, mm-hmm. you know, the ability for us to reach out, you know, for, for National Guard as well as for federal forces is there. So I think for, for Guam, as long as they're not deployed off-island, now having been in the military, even though you're stationed in Guam, you're going to be all over the place. You're going to be out in a float. If you're in the Marines, you'll be out for six months, come back for a couple of weeks, and go back out again. So you have the ability to get you know, immediate support there for a short period of time. And part of the challenge is you know, Title X, National Guard, they're expensive. So the intent is as you have the immediate need get the right resources there, justify it. You are overwhelmed as as a territory of a commonwealth and I need assistance and support for whatever it is, water purification. It could be medical evacuation. Get them in, get them used, get them supported, and then get them out. So now you can go back to your normal um, capabilities to then do your own response and start your recovery operation. So uh, the easy answer is as long as there is there, yes. Um, There is a, you know, a federal mission. So a lot of cases, you will not compromise your federal mission. First of all, so you have to make sure that those forces that are out supporting the theater are, are there. They may have some of them come back. That may be more of a civil support group, if you will, um, to help out with roads, to help out with uh, communications. Um, but yes, that was is a good good plus to have. But you don't compromise your your, your federal posture.
1: Two questions. Two final questions before I excuse you, because I know you got some writings to deal with. Um, what about are networking with the other insular possessions as it relates to emergency management. Uh, how's that working out? The Guams, Americans, I mean, we're this we're the only Department of Interior entity in the Atlantic, right? Because the Puerto Rico, they're not on under Department of Interior. They deal with the White House. But the other three Right. They're in that theater that you just mentioned over there in the Pacific Rim.
2: Well, I, I think on insular affairs, you're competing for the same dollars, if yeah. you will. So as each year we submit our our desires, and we're we're competing directly against mm-hmm. those funding. So, yeah, but, but that, in- that's
1: a, that's that's the reason why I asked the question: yeah. Shouldn't we now? Shouldn't this now evolve into a non-competitive uh, approach? And 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 if we we we, we take the collaborative step, mm-hmm. you know what I'm saying? And saying, look. Um, we realize there's X amount of dollars there, but we want to make sure that um, in in situations where we don't get hit on the western in, in the Pacific that and, 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 and the Virgin Islands gets hit in the Atlantic. That the resources are deployed where it's need and vice versa.
2: Right. There, there's two parts. One is for our, needed. I'm yeah, sorry. Yeah. For our, our specific needs here, for future needs. You know, so we share dollars and cents for future support. Yeah. If, if something does happen, we should be able to support equally. Mm-hmm. Um. And again, it's yes, time. Time, time and distance is, is is the biggest challenge. You know, even after mm-hmm. uh, a storm in Puerto Rico, through the state to state agreements or or territorial agreements, you know, we, we share resources. So you know, VIPD they could go over to Guam. They could go over for a period of time. Mm-hmm. And support each other with that support, and of course, Guam would have to pay for that that bill. But we would go over there with support, and we'd have some cultural, you know, you know, interactions that would go for as well as support them and mm-hmm. developing the response capabilities. Same yeah. as we have, they could support us also. But it's all about that time and distance, and how long it takes. Usually, it's for a couple of weeks, and then you rotate back out. The next forces that come yeah, in. Okay,
1: that's good. Yeah, because uh, my good friend Summer Sibley, um, that's what they're doing, and on the agriculture side, we're actually in the same region, and the Biden administration has established 12 different f- food distribution uh, centers. And instead of us being with Florida, because it's the closest state, they actually have us with the other insular possessions, Hawaii and Alaska. Good. So so that's a that's a good move there, because uh, we have more in similarity, <laughs> or more in common, I should say, than folks who may live in Sarasota, Florida. It's you know what I'm a, saying? Exactly. So, so, so that's what I'm saying. Uh, the the the, be- the biggest question is what happens at vitima as it relates to the hurricane season come december the first well
2: th- there 's a cycle we go through so we'll we 'll we'll take a pause uh, for about a month every month. I do have a uh, emergency management council meeting with all the areas agencies we can coordinate with both private sector government sector fema uh, then we 'll start the focus on building up for two thousand and twenty four so I go from January. To May to develop, I have seventeen initiatives that we you know we do our analysis and Mm -hmm. see what we need to do. um, They get better on those, and we start our you know mixes uh, again. And then that last week of of May, we have a what's called a capstone exercise where we basically everybody does a dress rehearsal. Uh, We open up shelters. We talk about joint information centers. We look at uh, points of distribution. We look national guard support to really make sure that, again, you have different people, different positions. So you have new people, but the plans, the procedures will be updated, patient movement evacuation we'll talk about, to make sure we're ready to go for the next hurricane season. And we'll continue to talk about, you know, in March, we'll do a, a, a carib wave, tsunami drill. Yeah, yeah. And then we'll also, in November October, we do a uh, earthquake drill. So we continue to have those drills and other threats under hall hazards, but starting in January, we start to set you know, with FEMA, TEMA and the agency. We have lead agencies. Uh, we have 15 emergency support functions, and we have lead agencies to focus on those skill sets. Again, going back to Irma Maria, um, those, those things we did not do so well. And even through the uh, legislature, they provided us some real good guidance to make sure we have plans, make sure we have rehearsals, make sure we have you know senior registry. Um, you know, Senator DeGraff mm-hmm. has that set up. He and I are always, I always talking about the senior registry to make sure individuals sign up for that and push for that. Um, the shelters to make sure we assess our shelters for going in for all all three islands make sure we're ready for shelters. So all that is really resetting to go into the next hurricane center. So we don't want to one uh, go in there with a false sense of uh, we know what we're doing. We do know what we're doing, but people are in different positions, and we have to make sure, like my team does, they coordinate with all these agencies to make sure the right agencies are working together. And again, it's the plan is one thing, but the planning process is what I really focus in on to make sure everybody understands what those plans are like and how to develop to make sure we we have commonality and we look at pre-storm uh, events. You know what's happening at H hour minus 96 through you know H. Landfall plus ninety six hours. What are their goals,
1: responsibilities, or prioritizations to make sure we're all set up and ready to go again? And and don't forget, uh, we, they start with the tropical weather update in the middle of May, even though the hurricane season starts uh, June one. They do the tropical weather update. Yeah, Colorado
2: State University will put out that first, you know, first one that Noah put out there. We'll go into the next season, again, the El Nino. We don't know what's going to happen quite with that yet. Mm -hmm. But we'll see the impact for that. But, again, we're looking at seven days out now, which is a a change. This was the first year we did that. So, next year will be, again, seven days out modeling. So, there's really no excuse for us not to be prepared and not to have the warnings and and really – um, go into what the threat's going to be, and then we treat all islands the same. It may be looking like it's going to go to St. Croix, but as you just talked about, it can very quickly go somewhere else. Yes, so we're
1: talking with Beryl um, uh the director of the Virgin Islands Territorial Emergency Management Agency. We uh, established a relationship here where the director would join us on the last Wednesday uh, of every month. It just so happens, right, that the... The, the last day of the hurricane season falls on a Thursday, which, which, is, which is tomorrow. And uh, we want to thank you uh, for making yourself available um, when you could. And, of course, um, there were instances where systems may have been uh, forecasted to impact us. And we called you and you'd uh, you know, educate us, let us know what the deal was. And I just want to thank you on behalf of WTJX Radio. And analyze this for making itself available on Wednesdays and I guess uh it works so well I don't see why we shouldn't do it again next year
2: no if it works let's keep it going I think yeah. you know when things do get exciting I get pretty busy <laughs> but uh, I, I appreciate the opportunity to do a, a call in and give an update mm-hmm. and again it's a tremendous team at Bitema. Uh the agencies working together our, our private sector with the VOAD you know it's, it's a great great team each year we get better and better and we keep pushing the envelope so we do we do uh, challenge ourselves for the next uh, step of success and you and richie Mota went
1: up with lee right that was uh yes we are,
2: we went up in the, the p3 o- o- orion a uh, hurricane hunter
1: for yeah. eight hours locked in there and that was uh that was yeah. like a uh that was like from five to one o'clock right five in the afternoon you called me at one to say yeah coming off the plane yeah it was yeah, very yeah. exciting I, I appreciate that you know, yeah because I'm, <laughs> I'm nocturnal you know what i'm saying so i was i was cool with that i was like for real <laughs> you know so i had no 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 problem with that and uh uh, we got a good relationship with the Hurricane Hunters, right? And oh, fantastic! That's right. the Air Force Reserve. That's what they
2: are. There's, there's two parts. They're, they're all working for NOAA, and you have the C-130 aircraft that mm-hmm. are going out. Then, of course, you have the NOAA Hurricane Hunters that Richard and I went up. Uh, we're actually uh, P-3 Orion, which are military aircraft,
1: are really anti-sub hunters. If and you, you guys will. actually went into the system, so you, we, we you're did. Not, s- you're not hovering over it and dropping down the instrument. You went into the system. Yeah, we
2: did seven penetrations. They call it, and so you see that, you know, that the the Hurricane. A big red blob mm-
1: mm-hmm. like we're the, gonna go around that the, right the, no we're gonna go through that the deep, so, the deep convection yeah, so yeah. It,
2: it's about a, a thirty or forty minute run each time you go through from outside through it, and again it gets wow. pretty exciting, but you're you're strapped in for those thirty minutes each time
1: mm-hmm. um, again, did that for seven times one 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 final question because we got like a minute left the they they name these storms um something ninety five uh what, what what's the term that they use? Uh, for the systems, In- invest. In- invest, yeah, yeah, invest. They, they start yeah, from yeah. ninety to yeah. and they,
2: they rotate. So yeah. invest ninety Lima, ninety yeah. one Lima. Um, then they'll go into tropical storm, and they'll, they'll they'll start having their their names. Then okay, yeah. But okay. it's always an
1: invest investigation. It's, it's, it starts as an invest. Yes, and yeah. then it could end up being a named storm. Yeah, then it goes into tropical depression yeah. twenty
2: two, twenty three. Again, then it then it when it forms that convection, it forms that closed, yeah. you know, yeah. circulation. They say, okay, we're going to give you a name.
1: I like that. Yeah. Uh, Director Daryl Justin, thank you very much for joining us, man. I go to wrap up uh, to this uh, six-month ordeal uh, that was the hurricane season uh, of 2023, the Atlantic hurricane season. Uh, looking forward to uh, communicating with you uh, down the road. Uh, going to the dry season, all right? It's the dry season the, 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 between now and April, right? We're not going to have the Sahara dust. And all that yeah, stuff. Yeah. Sahara
2: dust will start coming back up and you know as you go into hurricane season yeah. early on, we yeah. will
1: watch it come through. And, and and
2: again that's that's good news for us because it keeps it dry. Obviously if you have upper respiratory is not a good thing. Not a
1: good thing, yeah. yeah. we we keep an eye on that. Uh that's Daryl Jackson from Vitima. Thank you very much for joining us. Uh what we're gonna do is we're gonna take a break, come back, do some programming notes. Don't forget to stay on top of the local news scene by tuning into the WTJX News Feed with Marcelina Ventura-Douglas at 5 p.m. right here on WTJX FM 93.1, your NPR station in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Be back right after this.
0: Views and opinions expressed on Analyze This are entirely those of the on-air participants and do not reflect those of the station's board, management, staff, or underwriters.
4: WTJX's Taste of Two Islands is back. Join us at Antilles Mark C. Marin Center on December 14th for the long-awaited return of the taste, a culinary feast for the season. Hosted by me, George Culture Silkat. Tickets are on sale now through Thursday, December 14th. Tickets are available at Chelsea's Drugstore in Red Hook, Barefoot Buddha across from Haven Site Mall and Bonita's Cantina in Niski Shopping Center. Tickets can also be purchased online at wtjx.org forward slash taste or call 340-774-6255. Shuttle service will be available from Havenside Site lot to the MCM Center. Don't miss this opportunity to experience the magic of local cuisine as you dance to the rhythms of Spectrum Band. Sponsors for this event are VI Lottery, West Indies Company, Cardo Wine Inspir- & First Bank, Bellows International, the VI Office of Highway Safety, the VI Housing Finance Authority, and the VI Public Finance Authority. It's the return of the taste Thursday, December 14th at 6 p.m. A taste you can never forget.